everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Danielle Senador and Cole McLarty from Transonic Systems. They recently joined us for a webinar to introduce EndoGear, the newest biotelemetry system in the life science field. Let's jump in. This question says, I am currently measuring tethered cardiac output with your equipment. What are the surgical differences in tunneling with endogear in regards to the flow probe? It's a very interesting question. Of course, the basis of this technology is our body of work with tunnel in tether systems setups. So usually the tunneling for in flow probes or any or pressure sensors in rats is through the scapular area. And that also, I must add, that comes with handling exit sites for the length of your protocol. It's something that's tricky, that people have used it know very well, that issue. And also the connection of a tether system, you need to be watching the connection as you are recording the data. The interesting thing that I wanna bring attention about the implant and the way it's configured, for an example, the flow probe, every sensor of the implant, it's hardwired. So you're gonna have to tunnel the flow probe from the general position that you anticipate your implant it's gonna be. If you recall from the presentation from one of my last middle slides showing the rat with the implant, the implant is in the abdominal cavity and then the flow probe goes to the chest. So we tunnel from the abdominal area through the thoracotomy area for the implant position around the ascending aorta. Fantastic. Great. Thanks for that. The next question here, and actually many people have had this, so I'll summarize, is the endogear implant reusable and can it be refurbished? Yes, it is reusable. It is designed to be reusable. One thing that's interesting, of course, partner with the inductive power, it extends the life of the implant, what for how long you can keep those implants, you're not constrained by batteries. So as far as the reusability, it's like any device that needs to be explained to be placed again in another animal. It's also, it's going to be a question of how well that equipment is going to survive the explant procedure. For as far as refurbishment, it's we don't have refurbishment for this system. Right. Yeah. And so just to kind of maybe expand a little bit on that. The question of reusability is also very common with solid state high fidelity catheters in general. So we get this question with our pressure volume system. We get this question with our pressure catheters, which of course are all designed to be reusable. However, the amount of use that you can get out of them really is directly proportional to how they're treated, which again circles back to some of that support stuff where we're obviously very keen on making sure you understand how to explant appropriately, which will then give you success in the future. So I just wanted to add that in. It's definitely a variable that is hard to pin down because there is some onus on the user themselves in using these types of technologies. But that's obviously why we're here to help so you can get the most out of the technology for sure. Definitely. Okay. I'm going to move on to another question here. So this is about animal model use. Two questions. So I'm going to, again, summarize. This person says, I'm working with mice. Will endogear be offered for mice? And someone else has asked, what about large animals like pigs? Yeah, this is an expected question for sure. 
just the, the classic saying, of course, you come out with something new and somebody, of course, says that that sounds great. What else can I do with it? So if we take a step back and we certainly look at what applications we can service into from an animal model perspective, mouse is certainly a goal. Being candid, it's not our first priority. Actually, our first priority is, of course, launching the equipment in its current layout, but also I think what you'll see in the coming months from us, actually relatively quite soon, will be some news on the large animal side that we're very certainly excited about. And check back with us, certainly, of course, moving forward for mouse applications. I will say from a tethered perspective, absolutely. This is something, again, that we've been doing for decades, measuring flow in mouse models, certainly. But again, the miniaturization of the technology needs to get to that level. So, yeah, we're working towards it, but it won't be available, say, in the next 12 months, not for mice. Great. Another similar type question of this is great, but what else can I do with it? <laughs> Are there other <laughs> sensor types like ECG or blood oxygen available? Yes. So again, an expected question. There's lots of different applications that people want to service into. Pressuring, pressure and flow partnered together, of course, is what we feel highly valuable. I think a lot of people agree with that. But ECG is some, certainly something that people have already commented on and our collaborators would like to see. So what I can tell you is yes, from an ECG perspective, that is absolutely something that we're looking to onboard. Blood oxygen, nerve stimulation, various other types of interesting applications are on the potential list for sure. I think really what we're looking forward to doing is really getting feedback from the field on what applications would be most of value, frankly. So the easy answer is yes, ECG. Things like oxygen and other things are on the question mark list. We would, we'd love to hear from people. If there's a list of things that people would like to see from the equipment, we're absolutely listening. Right. Okay. The next question here is, I think, directed at you, Danny. This question is asking, the data that you presented was mostly focused on the cardiovascular system. Can this system be used in stroke models measuring carotid flow? Absolutely. One caveat, of course, that would be great is, again, expanding what the product can do. And speaking to what Cole just said, like, we want to know what people want to do with the equipment. Yes, for the stroke models, I just want to add a, little, a few considerations here. I think this product would be, would be phenomenal for interrogating longitudinally carotid blood flow in models that we know for a fact that are either induced by manipulation of carotid flow and or that have an outcome that you can detect or you expect to detect oscillations in carotid blood flow. For an example, atherosclerosis, new models that are coming up. There are many different models of stroke. So definitely seeing, I can see the product being able to help some of those protocols for sure. Fantastic. Okay. This next question is, if using the inductive power system, can the animal or animals be taken out of the base to record data? So what we're referencing here would be, if you guys remember back to the previous slide where we're talking about, you'd implant an animal, that animal would have a wireless power receiver that's connected to the implant. And it's communicating, of course, wirelessly, or not communicating, it's providing, it's receiving power from the base station. And the question really circles around, is there any power provided to the animal when they're outside of that cage? Really, the question becomes, is there a battery on the inside that provides power? And the answer is no. So this is a technology that's designed to provide power within the cage, 24-7 from any location within the cage, as mentioned, co-housing, all those nice things. But no, it will not provide power outside the cage. And that's really where the battery comes in for shorter term protocols or for these exercise physiology models or behavioral science or anything that you'd want to see the animal outside of the cage, that's really where a battery model would be most suitable at this current time. Okay. 
Great. Somebody, I mean, this is tying into an earlier question asking about mice, but this person has asked, has anyone worked with this technology with animals that are smaller than 250 grams? With the different studies that we've done, as I said, we're different with work with different partners, different facilities, of course, different, a wide, like a wide range of animal weight. I think we pushed the envelope there a little bit and we had success with animals around 220 grams that I think was the lowest that actually were part of the group of animals and they didn't, there was no different outcome than the rest of the animals at 250 and higher. Great. This person is asking about, I have not measured flow before with your technology. I'm thinking they're meaning tethered. Is that going to be a problem? The short answer is absolutely not. That's not a problem at all. The reason that we reflect back on that, again, circles kind of back to our history. Flow measurement, of course, as you guys have seen, is is certainly what we do. But we also have a really strong history of onboarding people, or at least what we call it in the, in the sales division, onboarding someone to be successful in these measurements. And that's really where the application experts come in. So I guess it circles back to the final slides and really talking about training resources. So the short answer really is no, it's not a problem at all. It's actually going to be probably the most common thing that we're going to see in this space. And that's really why we feel that on-site training is so important. Perhaps it's maybe an odd approach. I know other providers will say that on-site training is optional. Of course, in reality, of course, it's optional from us as well. But we will strongly suggest it because we feel that it will give you the ability to really benefit from the experience that we have in these measurement systems. People will simply have questions about how to optimize a flow probe in a specific application related to tunneling or where should the implant be housed if I want to do something different like spinal cord research or various other applications. And fortunately, we have a lot of experience in all of those different places. So the idea here would simply be if you haven't measured flow before, that's not a problem at all. What we would do is simply circle back to our, our application design phase, which Danny, of course, if you want to jump in and expand on that, you certainly can. But really yes. what this means is we would support you in getting up to speed on that measurements specifically in partnership with also getting up to speed on EndoGear more broadly. We definitely have a program in mind for that. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And it's a program like with the data that we discussed was just one of the studies that we conducted. I presented the data here today, but we of course did different ones. And I want to say most of these partners didn't have the experience with Flow. And we used our model of providing this kind of support for Tether. Now is the difference that it's for EndoGear. So we were able to put in practice also this model for specifically for the EndoGear platform with a very high success rate. And it's been a learning process for and a very constructive process as well. So it's been very engaging to help people that have never done this kind of measurement writing the first surgery and get the signals. It's definitely huge milestones and it's exciting. Yeah, perfect. This person has asked, does the development of connective tissue between the vessel and the probe affect the Doppler signal? So this is for the flow probe. I'll jump in on that one. And the reason I'll jump in on it is so my background is in, so I'm the director of sales and marketing, but I've been a sales rep for previously for 10, 11, 12 years, somewhere in that zone. And this is one of the more common questions. And frankly, when I started at the company, it was something that I didn't fully understand. It seems almost counterintuitive. But fibrosis and connective tissue is actually our friend in this application with this technology. So ultrasound, an acute application, really requires a coupling agent. So it requires something to get rid of air. Ultrasound doesn't like air. 
in a chronic environment, that is less of a variable, actually, because ultimately what ends up happening is you have connective tissue that will grow in in, in relatively short order, typically within a, a period of uh, a day or two. The real answer here is no, actually. It's not a problem at all, and ultimately it ends up becoming a real benefit to the measurement itself. It still allows for vessel growth, of course, and that's where that non-constrictive design is so valuable, where it allows for vessel growth and, and this connective tissue along the way is also helping with signal transmission. So somewhat counterintuitively, no, it's actually not a problem at all, and it's something that's working really in tandem with our technology, which is uh, a nice benefit, I suppose, for us. Just the last bonus of the connective tissue is that it also further stabilizes, mechanically stabilizes the PrEP, the flow probe around the vessel. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.